Um, a little introduction about myself for those of you that are um, new to Avent Hope and welcome to Avent Hope. Um, my name is Jason Shives. I'm a fourth year medical student. I'll be graduating tomorrow. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, it was not easy, but it was definitely worth it. And this is the abridged version of my testimony. If you want the full thing, you'll have to go to www.audioverse.org. And uh, you can get a card on the way out. Um, and just look, it's the only sermon I've preached that's been recorded. So, um, The Lord took my life and turned it upside down. I was somebody uh, that did not have a strong connection, a strong faith. Um, was not somebody that uh, read the Bible growing up. Um, and I have friends that grew up with me that could testify to that. Um, but when God grabs a hold of you, you have to do something about it. And uh, I'm a different person now. And if you want to hear the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, you'll have to go to Audioverse. Um, I'd like to, actually, before I get started into my sermon, um, I'd like to uh, ask Norman to come back up. Uh, God has given me the privilege this last year to serve as the director for Avent Hope. And, um, and when Tim Arakawa, who was the previous director before myself, told me that uh, they, I had been chosen, I felt very humble and, and uh, inadequate uh, because I know the responsibility of, of, of leadership is, is, very, is very great. And uh, I thank God for providing me... Um, the ability to at least maintain Avent Hope. Uh, it didn't fall apart under my leadership. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your prayers. Um, but Norman uh, has been chosen this to, uh, to be the director for the next year. And, um, and you guys have heard him preach before. He is somebody that is um, very solid in the Word, has been a, a very close friend of mine, and somebody I've always respected when it comes to his knowledge of the Word, knowledge of the Bible. And so, Norman... Um, and I'd actually like to ask you all um, if you can join me um, in prayer. We pray that God would be with Norman this year. Um, I know he has butterflies in his stomachs, like I in his stomach as I did. Um, but uh, but we should always keep our our, our leaders in prayer. Amen. Um, so I'm going to um, kneel with Norman on a stage here, and if you feel compelled, you can join us. If not. Um, you can kneel in your hearts, but why don't we go ahead and have a word of prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for Advent Hope, Father. Lord, there are so many churches out there. There are so many groups of people um, claiming your name and worshiping you, Father. What's the reason to have an Advent hope? What's the purpose for Advent hope? Lord, many of us here come here Sabbath after Sabbath because we have found the reason and the purpose for having Advent hope. Lord, um, we live in a time where the Bible is being stamped on, where it's being trodden underfoot, and your messages, Lord, are, are becoming more and more unpopular. But Father, there is a generation that will rise up to proclaim your messages, Father, that will be like a bolt of lightning across this earth to proclaim the three angels' messages in these last days. And Lord, I, I know that Advent Hope will be a major factor in that bolt of lightning. So Father, I want to pray that you'd be with Norman, that you'd be with the rest of the leaders that will be um, guiding and shaping Advent Hope this next year. And Lord, I just pray that you'd give him the wisdom that is needed. Father, um, give him a double portion of your Holy Spirit that he might be able to, to lead as not only a, a wise leader, but a humble servant and a decisive man. So I pray that you give him that strength, that boldness. And Lord, when times are tough, and there's going to be tough times, that he wouldn't look to others, Father, but he would look to you, and he would search the scriptures to find out what you would say. Surround him with good people, Father, to, to bolster him, Father, when he needs it, Father, and to humble him when he needs it as well. Be with us and help us as a group here at Avent Hope to support Norman, to keep him in prayer. Most importantly, Father, to make sure that his devotion life is number one. We thank you uh, for all that you do, and we know that you will bless his ministry here at Avent Hope. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay. Looks like uh So this will probably be one of my last sermons here since I'm leaving soon. And um, when it's one of the last times you'll be able to speak for a group that you really care about and love, 30 sermon topics come to mind. And uh, I'm not going to preach 30 sermon topics because we only have about 30 minutes. And I know that uh, that would be one minute per sermon topic and I wouldn't make any points. Um, but anyways, uh, I know there's... there's um, the next section of graduation is at 11.15, so there will be people that probably need to leave for that. But hopefully you get the main point of the message in the first part. Um, my sermon title today is called The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you guys have heard of the book called The Purpose Driven Life? Very, very, very popular book, right? Um, so that's what our title today is going to be. And uh, before we dive into the sermon title today, into the sermon today, um, I'm going to ask just to pray one more time um, for myself, and uh, you guys stay seated, and I'll kneel, and um, let's have one more word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your Sabbath. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak to your people today. And Father, I am humbled. Lord, um, I'm a little nervous, uh, Father, but I pray that you'd help that to, to subside. And Father, speak through me. Lord, sometimes I get in the way of what you want to say to people, and I just pray that you'd help me to just fall into the shadows and let Christ come forward. Hide me behind your cross, dear Jesus. And I pray that um, if there's someone here today that needs to have a closer connection to you, that maybe needs to give their heart to God for the first time, that this would be the day, that now would be the time that they would do it. Father, know that you can use me, but you don't need me. So Father, may you use me today. And be with those that have come today. May their, uh, may their hearts and minds be open to hear the word that's been prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. The purpose-driven life. In Okinawa, they have a word called ikigai. Does anybody know what ikigai means? It means, it's a rough translation, it says, it, it mean, it's the word that means the purpose for waking up in the morning. What is your purpose for waking up in the morning? Let me ask you a question. Do you have a purpose in this life? It's a serious question. It's, it's something that you know, we, we casually mention and then we, we skip over it. But if you, if you think and meditate on it, what is your purpose for life? What do we spend the most amount of our time doing? On those really hard days, let's say if you're a resident or you're working late, late nights and you don't really want to wake up or you're having just hard times in your life, what motivates you to wake up the next day? The book called The Purpose Driven Life to date has sold over 30 million copies. It is the best-selling hardback book. I had to make sure that I said that because I think the best-selling book recently has been Harry Potter, um, Have Mercy. Uh, but the best-selling hardback book in American history, according to Publishers Weekly, is The Purpose Driven Life. Now, I don't totally agree with everything that's in the book, The Purpose Driven Life. In fact, there are, um, it actually has a little bit of controversy in the Christian church. Um, some people consider it the pop gospel watered down. But as that aside, I wanted to mention that a book called The Purpose Driven Life is selling like hotcakes in our country. Why in this country is this selling so many copies? Could it be that in the world's final superpower, the United States, that there are millions of people that wake up from day to day without a purpose in their life. I want to tell you a story of a gentleman named Barlin. This gentleman, um, when I first came out to Loma Linda as a graduate student, was the owner of the home that I was uh, renting a room from. Now, Barlin was a, um, a very unique person. Um, he he was probably in about his mid-60s, late-60s, and he was married to a very nice and very pleasant woman named Betty. I don't know if they're in here today, but um, Barlin was, was the kind of person that if you saw and you talked to him for a little bit, you'd probably want to leave. He's a very mean person. That's why I said unique. I was trying to pick my words first. But he was, he was a very irate person. He had a quick temper. Somebody that... Uh, and and um, one of the things I remember about him is that, you know, it can be very hot in the summer, and I was always changing the thermostat in the house, because I was hot, I sweat easily, um, and, and he would always come over, he lived at a different house, but he would always come over to my house, 
and checked to see if the thermostat was at 78. And I was like, man, this guy's, this guy's always like in my business. And uh, he was, he'd, he'd look at me, he'd stare at me before he looked at the thermostat. And you know, and I got, you know, I got wise after a while. I'd switch it back to 78 before he came. I knew what time he was coming. But, but he like, he'd come in there and he didn't feel like 78 in there, but that's what it said. But anyways, Barlin was a, Barlin, Barlin was a pretty mean person. Um, and he was somebody that, he didn't have a lot of friends. His wife, on the other hand, was overcompensated for him, would always be like, oh, I'm so sorry, Jason, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. I know you want to leave, but please just stick it out, stick it out. Um, but, but anyways, the reason why I bring up Barlin's story is because a couple years after I end up, ended up leaving uh, their home, he was invited, he was, and he was a, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian in name. He was invited to go to a, um, a program at the, I think it was at the Thai Seventh-day Adventist Church called The Purpose Driven Life, 40 Days of Purpose, and he went through that series. And at the end of that series, the man I could not, I could not recognize him. His, he was smiling all the time, and he was going from place to place, ministering to people. And a couple of weeks after that, he came to Restoration 2004, where both my wife and I rededicated our lives and, and gave our lives 100% to God. And I remember one of the appeals I went up to, Barlin was standing next to me, and my initial reaction was like, oh my goodness, what's the... It's like, I was thinking, you know, it was the thermostat. It's like, we're in the church, though, I can't control it. But, um, but Barlin looked at me, and, and he just, he, he had this different look in his eyes. He gave me a hug, and he said, I found Jesus. And, um, and it was totally different. Um, I mean, every single night I'd see Barlin front row studying his Bible. His wife is like, I don't know what's happening with him. I love him more now. And, and, um, and it's great. He comes to church with me. I saw him. I was going to my, my sister was taking some classes at San Bernardino Valley College. And I saw him in the parking lot witnessing to people in the parking lot. He didn't even go to school there. I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm just praising the Lord. And so, but anyways, that's, um, Barlin unfortunately died um, a couple of weeks after that incident where I saw him. And it was very sad because, you know, her husband had finally got it and, and then he died. But one thing I, I, I took from that was that the Lord knew when Barlin needed to go. And he gave his heart tremendously to God. He was a huge witness to all of his friends that knew who he was. And I'm so happy that he was able to, to find Jesus before he died. But anyways, Barlin found his purpose for life. In this society... Back to the sermon. In this society, where antidepressants, as medical students, as, as, uh, as physicians here, you know, antidepressants, heartburn medications, are among the top-selling drugs in our country. Sales reach into the tens of billions of dollars. Could a lack of purpose be driving these sales up? More and more, this country is crying out for purpose. As I was meditating on this thought, I started to wonder if there was an association between the decreasing religi the re I'm sorry, the decreasing religiosity of our country and the increasing lack of purpose found in the people living in this country. I found a quote um, from the website scienceandreligion.org, and this author seems to put this very well, and I wanted to read this to you. In a world of chaos, he says, the ideals of religion have been the small voices trying to set matters right by suggesting the fundamental way we should live our lives. Today's 21st century society is based on the belief that money, science, and status rule. The result isn't much to shout about. Decimation of wildlife, fishing and stocks. Uh, decimation of wildlife and fishing stocks. The melting of the ice caps. A massive hole in the ozone layer. Political strife and turmoil in every country in the world. Rocketing suicide rates. Let me ask you a question. Do people that commit suicide have purpose in life? Except for those that are terrorists, of course. Increasing degenerative brain disorders. Addiction to drugs and alcohol pervading most Western countries. Corrupt governments. Increasing crime rates. And a third of the world's population, according to the 2000 report of the World Health Organization, says that we 30% are living in extreme poverty. Is the spirit of greed and competition and material plunder of the earth's resources a desirable alternative to religion? 
which at least has a possibility of inspirational and altruistic literature, if not a modification of better behavior. I, I really resonated with what that man said. I don't know who he was. It was anonymous, but I, I was like, man, that's really good. And it's in an attempt to get away from the Bible, to get away from God and the commandments of God, our country has lost its true purpose. Now, today, with, you know, what, two, three hundred people, maybe even more, is there anybody here that likes history? Yeah, there's a few hands. Good Seventh-day Adventists like history. Um, what was the name of the people that came in, originally to the United States on the Mayflower? What was their names? Pilgrims, right? What was their purpose for coming to this country? Religious freedom, political freedom, right? But most specifically, the religious freedoms that this country, they were being told how to worship. Their purpose was religious freedom. Our purpose now in this country is freedom from religion. It's pretty sad, huh? So the world is searching for purpose. What about the Seventh-day Adventist church? Is our church immune to this increasing lack of purpose pervading our society? <clears throat> Wouldn't you think that God's remnant church would be overflowing with purpose and mission? Sadly to say, it's, in many respects, that's... It's probably that we've, we've probably lost our purpose then be, then be, then, I'm sorry, let me say this again. Sadly to say, we've probably lost our purpose then we haven't, we're not really overflowing with purpose. We've seemed to have lost it. Um, I went to a convention a couple months ago and uh, some, it's called the AIA conference and the presidents and student association leaders from all the Seventh-day Adventist schools come together and they talk and deliberate and they pray and they talk about, hey, what's going on in your campus? What's going on here? And three Seventh-day Adventist presidents of colleges, Dr. Gordon Beetz, um, Dr. Um, Richard Osborne from Pacific Union College and Eric Anderson um, from Southwestern Adventist University were there on hand and they presented to us um, um, some thoughts. Dr. Richard Osborne said, you know what, across our country, in our Seventh-day Adventist colleges, enrollment is on a general trend decreasing. We don't know why, we don't know how to stop it, and we would like your help um, to, to try to investigate what we can do to stop the decreasing enrollment in our colleges. And he, he wrote an article, a 20-page article, 20-plus pages, and he tried to identify what was the reason. One thing in the article really struck me, um, because I actually graduated from Southern Adventist University. This is what he said. So, despite the decreasing enrollment in Adventist higher education, Dr. Osborne says this, quote, Some of the greatest growth has also taken place, in, has also taken place at Southern Adventist University which has increased its academic reputation, but also benefits from an image of being conservative and traditional in its approach to Adventist lifestyle issues and theology. Because students want to go to a college which is growing in academics and enrollment, they are well positioned to survive the challenges of the future, as opposed to some of the other colleges. I appreciate this guy's candor. He's not a conservative Adventist. He's, a, he's what most people would call liberal. But I'd like to substitute some of his words. Instead of saying it is a conservative and traditional approach to Adventist lifestyle, and issue, lifestyle issues in theology, I would like to say it this way. Southern, quote, more than any other institutionally sponsored SDA college, has remained faithful to the original purpose and mission of SDA higher education. And because of that, God is blessing them. Did you bring your Bibles? Let's turn to the book of Revelation. Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's, I learned that from Gizmo. Oh yeah, Gizmo's not here. I guess Gizmo's in Kansas now. He told me to say goodbye. We're going to miss him. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Many of you know this verse. It says, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing... And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is the condition I believe that our church is in. This is the condition I believe our country is in. We are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But God says you don't even know that you're poor, blind, and naked. 
I want you to keep this text in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to it. Do you know what is interesting? It seems that as that both the United States and the Seventh-day Adventist Church have, as they've become richer and increased with goods, they've slowly compromised on their original purpose, the reason for which they started in the first place. I don't think this is something that is unique to any one organization, but as people start to become comfortable, they start to say, oh, this isn't as important, and this isn't as important. So now we've identified a problem. That long introduction, I want to get to some other stuff here, but what is the cure? What do we do now? Now that we know we have a problem, we have this lack of purpose, we're rich, we're increased with goods, where can we find the answer? I want to suggest that the lack of purpose, the solution to that, is not found in the best-selling hardback book in this country, written by a pastor of a megachurch in Saddleback, but rather it is the true best-selling book of all time, written by a high priest that is in heaven right now, making intercession for our sins. I hope you brought your bestseller today. We're in Revelation 3.17. I want to read to you one more time. Revelation 3.17. What is the cure to this symptom or this disease? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold. So this is the solution. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich. But they were already rich. What kind of rich is this? And white with raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. What is this gold tried in fire? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. A couple of books before Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7. It says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, do you see the parallels there? Might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So we see here that God likens gold tried in fire as our faith being tried. Okay, so I'm building these texts. I'm going to try to bring this all together. Now, as we read the Bible, is there any character that we can relate to? Is there someone in the scriptures that was very rich and increased with goods, yet learned how to maintain his purpose as gold tried in fire? Can you guys think of anybody? Joseph? Job? Daniel. Daniel is going to be the, the theme of the rest of this book, the rest of this sermon. Let's turn to Daniel. Daniel. Daniel was an amazing man. There are, many, there are many people that fit this description, but for the purposes of this sermon, Daniel is going to be our man. Today, I would like to study the life and character of a man Christians would agree, no matter what denomination, he had a purpose-driven life. His name was Daniel. He was a Jew that became a prime minister of two world superpowers, Babylon and Medo-Persia. He was a very popular man who was very respected. In fact, Christ himself, in Matthew 24, verse 15, you can look at that later, when speaking of the terrible times to come during the last days, gives us the advice that we should study the book of Daniel. Daniel is the only prophet in the scriptures to be directly endorsed by Christ Jesus. He says not only to read, but to understand what Daniel has said especially for the times we live in. So if Jesus wants me to read Daniel, then what are we going to do? We're going to read Daniel. Incidentally, don't, be, don't ever be ashamed. You know, I have friends that are not of this faith, and I tell them sometimes that I'm going to Daniel or Revelation Bible study, and they laugh. <laughs> you Seventh-day Adventists, that's all you ever study is Daniel and Revelation. All you ever do is emphasize Daniel and Revelation, Daniel and Revelation. Think about it. Jesus talking about the last days, talked about how we should study Daniel. Jesus overemphasized Daniel. And then Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. Both books are all about who? Jesus. So don't let them di dictate what you're going to study. Just listen to Jesus. Let's look at some of Daniel's decisions. Daniel chapter 6. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. I'm going to go ahead and start reading for the sake of time. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, King Darius, 
and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these were three presidents, of whom Daniel was the first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. Daniel was the chief of the three presidents, only under Darius. So Daniel, I'm just going to go ahead and summarize for the sake of time. Daniel, in this chapter, is put to the lions to be executed because he chooses to put the law of God before the law of man. Even though he's the second man of the entire world at this time, he is put to death because of his faith in God. I want to ask you a question. Why did, or how did Daniel develop such boldness? Many of us, can you, I mean, many of us would give up, we wouldn't even give up our jobs for, for little things. But Daniel would give up his life. This event occurred when Daniel was nearly 90 years old, and we have no reason to doubt that he had the same determination when he was younger. A building is only as good as the foundation it sits on, so why don't we look at what Daniel was like when he was 18, 19 years old. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. How did Daniel get this character in boldness? So today is a Bible study. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. I know many of you have read this, but let's try to read it with new eyes. It says in Daniel chapter 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought souls into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes. Verse 4, Certain in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as has ability in them to, st to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. Verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meats, and the wine which he drank, and nourish so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Verse 6, Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave them names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and of Mishael, Meshach, and unto Azariah of Abednego. But verse 8, But Daniel purposed, emphasis implied, in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. He requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might defile himself. Now, I am going to make some assumptions and applications based on this text, assuming that everyone here believes that the Bible is the word of God. Believe, if you believe the Bible is the word of God, say amen. amen. Okay, so I'm going to give some stuff, and this may be extreme, but this is what the Bible says about Daniel, and Daniel was able to go to the lion's den for the Lord. Point number one. Jerusalem has now just been destroyed. In verse 1 it says that it has been besieged. The temple has been decimated and the vessels that only the high priests were allowed to touch in the temple are now being carried away to the temple of a god made of stone. Daniel's family is executed and many of his friends were most likely slaughtered right before his very eyes. Okay, let's, let's, let's read in between the lines here a little bit. Point number 2. Aspenaz is the master of the eunuchs. And now Daniel, and now he's Daniel's master. So what does that make Daniel? Daniel has now become a eunuch. Do you guys know what a eunuch is? Okay, for those of you that don't know what eunuchs are, you should ask somebody that does. <laughs> Real quick, how can I say this in church without being uh, sounding too bad? Daniel no longer would have the ability to have children. Use your imagination. But he had a surgery, a procedure that would not allow him have children anymore. He became a eunuch. Do you know, okay, so not only is Daniel watching his family and friends being butchered, he is put through a radical medical procedure that guarantees he will never be a father, without anesthesia as well. Point number three, Babylon is 900 miles from Jerusalem by foot, and Daniel and his friends are most likely walking there since they're now slaves. Add this all together. Keep adding this. When he finally gets to Babylon, he and his friends are surrounded by people who are speaking a different language. Their names have been changed to that of other gods. Their original names glorify Jehovah. And they are now informed that for dinner tonight, there's a roasted pig and wine. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. What would be your reaction towards God at this time? 
Would you lose your purpose? Would you think God has forsaken you? Of all the things that he could have complained about, family dying, family tortured, losing his manhood, all these different things, the Bible mentions that Daniel objects to what? Diets. Verse 8. Let's read verse 8 again. But Daniel purposed in his heart, after all these things happened, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Diet? Are you serious? Diet? How many of us today, we have our families alive, we have our friends alive, we have all our body parts attached, and no one is threatening our lives? How many of us would compromise on the issue of diet every day of the week? How many of us in this room right now have said when the issue of diet comes up, oh, that's just a diet, it's not a salvational issue, then why is he willing to risk his life? Just want to ask that question. If Daniel would have made the same stand in our day, would he have been considered by many of us as a legalist? Compared to the Christianity of our day, doesn't that seem a bit extreme? Think about it for a second. There is a fine line between legalism and loyal obedience to God. One is a trap of Satan. The other is a requirement for salvation. God alone sees the heart, and God alone knows what motivates the act. No one is going to call Daniel a legalist. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Children of your sort. So there are people that are Jews that are compromising. Do you see that? But Daniel was not willing to compromise. So Daniel approaches Aspenaz, out of loyalty to God, and requests that he not defile himself with the food. Aspenaz says to Daniel, Don't you know that you need a, a source of complete protein? You can't get that from tofu, Daniel. <laughs> Compare... That was a little jab there. It only comes from meat, in all seriousness. He then tells Daniel that if he grants his request, Daniel, if I grant your request, you're going to be putting my head on the chopping block. Wow. What's Daniel's reaction? Oh, Asphanaz, what was I thinking? You are right. I had no idea that my inconvenient dietary needs would cost you your life. No problem. I'll, I'll just eat the grapes around the pig and... And why don't you just save me the apple in his mouth? Is, is that what Daniel's saying? Let's read the next verse. Let's see what Daniel does. Verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, who is below... So if, if, if Ashpenaz is the general, Melzar is the sergeant in charge. Then says Daniel to Melzar, who the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, give us ten days, and let them give us pulse or vegetables to eat, and water to drink. So they want to go on the chip diet or a vegetarian diet. Verse 13. Let us, let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance or the face of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. So compare us with them and see and, and, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. Daniel is so convicted that he needs to be faithful in the area of diet that he's not only willing to sacrifice his life but he's, cons he's considering sacrificing the life of other people. Does this, does this change the way you see Daniel chapter 1? Man, this guy is stubborn. He is so willing to follow the Lord in this area. I just want to just pause for a second and think, think in your life of things you know you should be doing for the Lord, but you, we compromise, we compromise. When I was writing this, I had a hard time with this because I knew um, that I myself needed to make sure I was right with the Lord while I was preaching this. There are so many applications we can make to our lives. Isn't the Bible amazing? It pierces our hearts 2,000 years later. How many of us are displeasing God because of the people around us, the peer pressure? Yes, God, I know your Bible says we are supposed to be a peculiar people, but if I stand up for you, I could lose my friends. I could lose my job or my respect in my group of friends. Let me ask another question. Because most of us are pretty faithful to God in most things, this is Avon Hope, in situations or in lifestyle issues that don't necessarily seem completely wrong or completely right, 
Is it your practice to do a quote-unquote holy compromise? Or do you err on the side of caution just in case? You know, Lord, I don't want to go against you, so I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll be cautious. Could Daniel have just kept his peace and ate the fruit around the animal or got a servant to get him some kosher pickles or something? If Daniel was a holy compromiser, would he still have been the same bold man that many of us say, oh, Daniel went to the lion's den. Yes, Daniel did this. I don't think so. Let's go back to verse 8. Verse 8. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drink, drank. Therefore he requested, he requested. What caused him to request? That third word, purposed. The Hebrew word for purposed is sum, S-U-W-M, which means to set, to fix, to make a determination that will not move you. When did, when did this occur? Daniel, Daniel, when did Daniel fix or set in his mind that he was not going to defile God or defile himself against God? I want to make a proposition to you. It is not the time when we're facing the temptation that we need to be making decisions to follow God and purposing in our hearts to follow God. It's right now. Because it's, if it's when procedures are happening to us and our families are dying all around us and temptation is all around, we're going to fall. The reason why Daniel was able to stand through all of this torture and mayhem is because he had purpose in his heart to follow God when times were smooth. I think we need to do the same. Let's get back to the side point here. There's another group of people that in the last days will purpose in their heart. They will set. They will fix. They will not be moved from their purpose to serve God. It's found in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3 through 4. Let's turn there really quick. We're almost done. Revelation chapter 7, verse 3 through 4. If you have to leave, I understand, but I have to finish this sermon. Revelation chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. It says, and God's speaking to the angels in verse 1 and 2 to hold back the winds, saying in verse 3, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, neither the tree, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. They were set. They were fixed. And there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. There's going to be a group of people, a bunch of Daniels, that decide that they would rather die than sin against God. They have sealed it in their minds that they will be Daniels. I want to read to you a quote from the book called Maranatha. This is on page, Maranatha, page 200, in reference to these people. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. They are set on this point. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, it will come. Indeed, it has already begun. The judgments of God are now upon the land, so giving us warning. And we see that today. That we may know what is coming. So Daniel and his friends are allowed to eat only vegetables. Well, let me, let me, let me, I don't want to just pass that point. Guys, we have an opportunity to do something awesome for God. Daniel has given us as an example. Don't we want to be Daniels? Amen? Let's move on. We're almost done here. Verse 15. So Daniel and his friends are only eating vegetables and drinking water for 10 days. This is the first scientific experiment, the first chip program. Verse 15, it says, And at the end of the 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Fair. What does the word fair mean? Beautiful, right? Ladies, do you want to be beautiful? Eat vegetable and drink water for 10 days. <laughs> what does it say? But of course it does say fair and fatter. Um, <laughs> that's the King James. It just means healthy. So. <laughs> but look at this. 
Daniel was put to the test. Verse 16. Thus Melzar, or the steward, took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them vegetables. So the rest of the three years, they're just, drink, they're just drinking water and they're just eating vegetables. Three years without that quote-unquote complete protein source. And as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Daniel, because of his passing the test, was now given the gift of prophecy. But you see, it only happened after he was proven faithful to a test. I want to try, I want to, try to... Now, okay, everything we've just talked about, I want to try to tie it all together. Now, this may be a stretch, but I hope it's not. Okay, so put on your thinking caps if you don't already have them on. Okay, so let's talk about Daniel. Daniel is a Jew. Okay? Daniel is a Hebrew, Jew, living in the superpower of the then-known world, Persia or Babylon. He and his friends make up a small group in this empire. What makes them different? They are following the God of the Bible. They are following the God of the Bible's health message found in the Bible. And because of that, they are receiving the gift of prophecy. And if you read Daniel chapter 2, 7, and 8, they are called to give a prophecy about an end-time message that will go to this world. I'm going to let that sink in, okay? Okay. Compare that to Seventh-day Adventist church. We are a group of spiritual Jews living in the superpower of our day, the United States. We make up a small group of people in this empire called the United States. Why are we different? We follow the God of the Bible. We follow his health message. And we too have received the gift of prophecy through the writings of Ellen White. And just like Daniel, we are called to give an end time message to the world. Is Daniel pertinent to our time? Was Jesus right when we should read the book of Daniel? Do you guys see this? I hope you're learning something new today. This is amazing stuff. Now it's audience participation time. Okay, I've heard maybe 20 or 20% 20 of the people say amen. Time to, okay, get your amen juices rolling. Ready? Okay, I'm going to ask you questions and either say yes or no as loud as you can. Advent hope. Do you want true purpose in your life? Yes. Get to know the God of Daniel. Three questions. It gets louder every time, okay? <laughs> Advent hope. Do you want true purpose in your life? Yes. Be willing to stand up for God when others are sitting. Advent hope. Do you want true purpose in your life? Yes. Become a vegetarian. <laughs> Amen. All joking aside, I think it's very important... You see, diet has always been a major test for God's people. If you think of Eve, she fell because of the fruit. You think of Jesus. The first temptation he dealt with when he entered his ministry was turning the stones to bread. Diet has always been a huge issue. If we can't control our appetites, we're not going to be able to control ourselves when Satan's tempting us. If Daniel would have fallen in this area, because it's in Daniel chapter 1, I don't know if there would have been another 11 chapters. It's because Daniel was faithful in the small things, he was able to be faithful in the big things. Now, what happens to Daniel? Graduation time has occurred. It's three, chap um, three years later. Let's read 18 through 21. Let's finish off the chapter. There's a graduation time here at Loma Linda. It's graduation in the kingdom of Babylon for Daniel and his friends. Verse 18, it says, Now at the end of the days that the king said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. So after three years, he brings them in. Man, vegetables and water for three years, man. He's, they've got to be frail-looking, not fat and fair. Verse 19, it says, And the king communed with them. He spent some time. He was he, quizzing him, asking questions. And among them was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Wow. Verse 20, look at this. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them... He found them to be ten times worse than all the magicians and astrologers that were in... All. No, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. He found them to be ten times better.
better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in, in all his realm. These guys were ten times smarter than the best of the best. Wow. Amen. Wow. They have purpose. They are willing to stand for God in the small things. Advent Hope, can we stand up for God in the small things? I hope so. Now, I wanted to just, as I survey the world, I'm closing up. This is my, my last point here. As you survey the world, Advent Hope, this is an appeal for you. And if you have come to Advent Hope for the first time, I'm sorry. We have just indoctrinated you. You are part of this family. Advent Hope, as we survey the world, there are areas in the, in the world where the Advent message is being embraced. There are areas in the world where the Advent message is being, eh, I don't know about that legalism stuff. In the areas of the world where the message is being embraced, where they have a passion for Christ and they're following him whithersoever he goes, the church is exploding. In the places of the world where the people are disgruntled and they're, you know, they're quibbling over the little matters, you know, they're saying false, oh, let's just say, let's just, let's just do, let's just praise Jesus and love Jesus. Well, if you love Jesus in John 14, 15, you keep his what? Okay, very good. So, when a church has, I'm comparing two people, when a church or a person has purpose, number one, it has a true, long-lasting happiness, a reason to exist. I have never been happier than when I have started to follow Jesus all the way. I was a lukewarm, liberal Adventist for a long time, and I did not, my happiness came from watching the Super Bowl, from hanging out with my friends, from playing PlayStation, but now my happiness comes from studying the Word of God. I have friends at Avent Hope that I would never have had friends with. I've never been friends with them because we had nothing in common. But because the Word of God is now the number one priority in our lives, we are the best of friends. Norm is my, one of my best friends. You know, he's a neurologist. He, he's, he's a deep thinker. Those people used to bother me. I just want to <laughs> go and do stuff. I just, you know, I, I act and then I think later. Come on. But now Norm's one of my best friends because... The Word of God has brought us together. And I am closer to my friends in the Word more than I've ever been to other people. Because when your friend thumbs things, when the Super Bowl's over, they leave. When the PlayStation breaks, they leave. The Word of God is not going to go away. So, true long-lasting happiness is a reason to exist for this church when a church has contrasted, when a church has lost its purpose or is disgruntled with the standards of the of the established organization, number one, a facade of happiness will come up, but there is arguing amongst the leadership that truly try to hold to these principles. Number two, when a church has purpose, it wants to share it with others. Amen. You're happy with it. You want to tell everyone about it. Number two, for the other church. When a church doesn't have purpose or it's disgruntled, there's no drive to bring people into this dysfunctional family, right? Do you see the point? I mean, there's no evangelism in the liberal aspects of this church because they're not happy with it. Oh, I need this page. When a church has purpose, number three, it feels that it is doing the will of God and it's following God's advice. Number three, for the church that's disgruntled, I think the church that's disgruntled is over here. I might have switched them, but you get the point, right? When a church has lost its purpose, instead of following God's advice completely, they quibble over the pillars of the truth, laying aside any teaching that may be controversial. And number four, when a church has purpose, the church has become a lighthouse, effectively guiding souls in a dark world back to the maker. If you lose your purpose, the church has now become a religious social club, a place to bring your family and friends and say smooth things, Pastor. Advent Hope, do you want to have a purpose-driven life? Yes. Advent Hope, do you want to have a purpose-driven church? Yes. Then I challenge you, dare to be a Daniel wherever you go. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, and thank you so much for the story of Daniel. Lord, as I, I've read Daniel so many times, and and we kind of skip over the, the things he's done. But Lord, if we just pause and meditate on what it would have been like for us to do the same things, Lord, I don't know if I would have been able to stand. 
he went through some really tough stuff. But Father, there's somebody that went through even more. And that's your son, Jesus. And what's great about Jesus is he's giving us the power and the grace to follow in his steps. Lord, it, just about every disciple followed his steps to the death. There was something in their hearts that they were not willing to love their lives because it meant they couldn't love Jesus. So, Father, there are people here today, I know, because a group this size, there's probably at least a couple of, a couple of people that have not made you their priority. They give lip service to with God, but maybe they don't follow you. Lord, your Holy Spirit is strong. Your Bible is a sword that is piercing hearts. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit, connected with the word today, pierce someone's heart. And Lord, if that is the case, I pray that you would stir that heart until that heart falls out and a new heart is placed in it and they give their hearts to Jesus. Lord, do not let conviction stop. Lord, I know this is just a Sabbath school, Father, but Lord, this is a message that needs to be said. Lord, the sermon needed to be preached. And Father, I pray that Advent hope, as I leave from here, and as many of us leave from here as we graduate, would remain true to its purpose, Father. That would not compromise where you have said we should not compromise, Father. But that we would be bold as Daniel, even in the little things, Father. But most importantly, Father, we would have the love of Christ in our hearts so that people cannot... I mean, it says Ashpenaz loved Daniel. He found favor with Daniel. There's something about Daniel. There's something about Daniel that made him different. Lord, make us different, Father. Help us to be a light. Help us to truly have a purpose-driven life. Amen.